Welcome to Media Mavens, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss our favorite, or not-so-favorite, movies, shows, and games. I'm Pam. I'm Riley. Let's, Let's get, get started. started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Media Mavens. I'm Pam, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Riley. Hey! How are you doing, Riley? Uh, not bad. I spent the day sleeping and watching Netflix, so it was pretty good. That is a good way to spend the day. <laughs> um, today, we have another returning guest, and it is Apple Cider. Woo! Welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm, I, I'm always so excited when I get to be a repeat guest somewhere, because it means people like, like me. <laughs> we, we like you. <laughs> Um, so you had written an article in Paste Magazine uh, last week, I think, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what spawned this topic, which is going to be gaming with and without nostalgia. But before we get to that, we'll just do our normal, what have we been up to? So Apple Cider, do you want to let us know what you've been up to in the last week or two? Uh, well, I have fallen back into the world of Warcraft hole. Like I so have many no people, idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> my life is not my own anymore, and um, I, I, which is, it's again, it's really kind of interesting because it kind of plays into what we'll eventually be talking about. Because World of Warcraft is the one game I can actually be kind of nostalgic about because I've been playing this silly game for um, like eleven years now, and so. Legion is the perfect expansion for people who played earlier expansions and would like things that are like the old expansions, but better now. Uh, (laughs) If you played Burning Crusade or Wrath of the Lich King, you will absolutely love Legion. (laughs) And um, it's weird because I actually took a very aggressive, serious break. Well, not even break. I actually was quitting for good. Uh, um, of World of Warcraft for a while because I was really kind of perturbed with Blizzard. I was perturbed with Draenor. I was perturbed with how the company was like presenting itself. And um, mm-hmm. Legion, I mean, it's not perfect. Nothing is. But I find myself actually having fun again. And I find myself um, enjoying World of Warcraft and I find myself enjoying that there's, like, so many cool female characters. And I think that while Blizzard still has a long way to go uh, <laughs> in terms of the kind of, like, quality story writing, it's really kind of nice to be able to return to this game and recognize a lot of things about it that I do still like um, and that have been improved in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, just really enjoying the heck out of it. Just... uh I don't know. And I mean, I have to play World of Warcraft as a casual player now. Like, that's mandatory. I have to play it as somebody who does not have a lot of time anymore. Like, I can't do the kind of things that I used to. So the fact that I can do that now as somebody who has a full-time job and has other responsibilities and and also likes to do other things besides play video games, um, it fits in really kind of nicely. So I'm, like, really happy about that. That's good. Mm -hmm. And are you a mage? 
yeah, I'm still a mage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they may, I can't help it. It's like the best class. And uh, they, <laughs> my favorite spec, which is fire, uh, is also really good. So it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard not to like this game and I want to not like <laughs> it, but I do. And uh, it's been really nice to see all of my f- guild friends again, which is weird because we were all on Twitter anyway it's not like Mm -hmm. they left or they went somewhere but it's nice to like kind of all be back in the in the guild again together playing and doing stuff and uh yeah that's kind of that's kind of what i've been doing mostly uh especially Mm -hmm. because my boyfriend also is playing uh frequently again so but also it's like fall tv season is starting up again and that's like Mm -hmm. that's That's my time to be hype about stuff so (laughs) What are your main shows? Um, well, the main shows don't get started up until next week because that's when The Flash oh, okay. comes back and Supergirl and iZombie and like all <laughs> of my CW, like my CW shows. But um, I tried to see if American Horror Story was going to be good this season and I'm not really liking it. Um I'm also watching this show that's on FX called Atlanta, which is by uh, it's, uh, it's produced by Donald Glover, and he also stars in the show. And it it's basically kind of surrounding his life as like a young black man and in you know the outskirts of Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually find it really good. It's a single camera show. It's half an hour long. It's like like the episodes are half an hour long. It's shot really well. It just feels very, like, darkly comedic, but also kind of serious in some ways. And it's just kind of, like, it's not like any other show I've really watched. And it's also, um, it's so good to watch a TV show that I have literally no experience with the content. Uh, Okay. If that makes sense. Like... So much of, like, TV is about white people doing white people stuff, and so watching a TV show that the entire cast is black, and it's about, you know, black experiences and that sort of stuff like that is, like, I find that really refreshing and really good because it, I have no experience with it, so it's, like, Mm -hmm. there needs to be more shows like that. Because, you know, like, I'm used to being able to see people like me every day on TV. So it's, like, cool to watch something that's, like, not afraid to be serious, but also still kind of maintain a really good sense of humor about that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm kind of digging it. Yeah, that's good. I think, I mean, we definitely need more of that. Because something that you're not familiar with that you haven't seen a million times Mm -hmm. already is automatically more interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And this sounds like it's good, well done, too. So, yeah. Very well written, very well acted too, because a lot of episodes don't have a ton of dialogue. So just the acting in every episode, it's just so much of it is just like these like very short scenes that have like almost no speaking in them, but you kind of get a real sense of what kind of the tension is and what is kind of being conveyed to you as the audience through like just really amazing like physical acting that you really just don't see on TV a lot because so many TV writers are really caught up in the like 
Aaron Sorkin-esque dialogue that's like very clip, you know, clipped and quippy and walking through a hallway, talking at each other, two heads, you know, like, <laughs> like, like that kind of stuff, which is like great in its own right. But Atlanta really doesn't feel beholden to that. And a lot of scenes are just kind of one or two actors sort of sitting in this like comedic or dis dislike like uncomfortable sort of situation and just sort of sitting with it and you just kind of see the emotions on their faces and their bodies and it just like i don't know i just i find it really really well done i'll have to check that out yeah i haven't seen it yet uh was there anything else oh no uh just you know netflix everything's on netflix i love it a lot of like a lot of like cooking like cooking shows and stuff like that um Mm-hmm. Netflix just has so much money to like pump into like really great series and I'm so enjoying oh yeah Luke Cage starts tomorrow and I'm mm-hmm. very excited <laughs> so, I'm very excited about that too yeah again another TV show that deals with with deals with people that are not like me at all which is I find great and revelational so very excited all right so Riley what have you been up to uh, I have also been playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> I feel like this is this is going to be a theme for a little while at least. Uh, yeah, probably. I just can't escape right now. <laughs> There's just so much stuff to do. Yeah. And aside from playing World of Warcraft, I finally watched uh, Zootopia because uh, it's on Netflix. Thanks, Netflix. Uh, yeah. I remember we went to see that and then failed. Yeah, because it was like March break. Yeah, and we went to the matinee and that doesn't <laughs> it was sound like a out. good idea. No, no, so we didn't see it at all. But yeah, so I finally got to see it. Um, it was good. Um, I watched like a behind the scenes kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. about it before, and knowing that and like the story that they had planned first. Um, which was like predators had to wear like collars and stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, seeing what they ended up with, I was like, okay, well, at least they went in a better direction than that. Um, but it was weird watching because it was like, I I don't know, like I thought it was good, but at the same time, I thought they were trying to deal with like social issues that weren't like. They're there in the movie, but at the same time, it's like, they're these, like, cutesy animals and stuff, and I don't know, it was kind of uncomfortable to watch Mm -hmm. at the same time, so I'm probably going to watch it again, though, like, just to think about it. Yeah, I I haven't seen it yet, but I know that they sort of, like, have a race allegory to it, which is, like, on one hand like good effort on the other hand making like the predators like the literal predators the ones who are being discriminated against discriminated against doesn't really work uh much like a lot of things don't work like the deus ex stuff about how augmented Mm -hmm. people um or even things like x-men it's like sort of like not a great allegory yeah yeah you have to buy into the literal super predator theory to buy that predators would be the underclass in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, like, because, uh, like, at one point, 
the bunny like judy hops is saying to nick or he's hearing it because she's at like a press conference and he's hearing her say like predators are going savage because it's part of their biology and they just can't help it and Ugh. it's something Ugh. that just triggers in their brain that makes them do these terrible things and i'm like jesus christ like with all the shit that's been happening lately i don't know if i feel good watching this yeah that's so yeah that's funny because my impression of zootopia was that judy like the way that the trailer is cut they make it seem like judy is not the very like good character like and so i was gonna go into the movie thinking that like judy and all of the like non-predators were going to be the ones that are discriminated against because she seems like the low person on the totem pole you know yeah so that's very very weird (laughs) it kind of like it kind of does that because she's a bunny and they're like uh, it's kind of like you know bunnies don't belong on the police force or whatever but she wants to be a cop so bad so they put her on the force and they talk about like um some mammal initiative that the mayor has put in so like they it's like a diversity type thing so they have to include a bunny um and she's the they call her the token bunny at one point what Um, is going on in this movie (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) like this this movie could probably have its own like full hour discussion because it was like ah and they like at one point the cheetah cop like calls her a cute bunny and she's like oh you know bunnies can call each other cute but when other people like when other animals call bunnies cute it doesn't really work the same way oh my god and i was like okay (laughs) who was in the writer's room for this yeah (laughs) like they were they they were trying i think but uh some of the comments and stuff just kind of really missed the mark yeah so yeah I don't know. It like it looks amazing as always. Like those animated computer movies, they look so good, mm-hmm. and their fur looks really like realistic. And uh, one thing I noticed was that the earbuds, when she's listening to her iPod or whatever, they actually go into her ears instead of sitting on the side of her head, like you sometimes see with like cartoon bunnies. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. It was it was good and then on the other hand there were some things about it that i was kind of like oh gosh yeah uh and then because of netflix i started watching once upon a time again like i started watching it i don't know maybe a couple months ago and then uh was like well i'm not doing anything else so i might as well watch that so i love fairy tale stuff so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so that's been really good and then i binge watched the new season of Grey's anatomy that's on netflix uh Uh, and everybody on that show is a terrible person and i don't know why i keep watching it (laughs) (laughs) that's how i feel i haven't watched it yet but i'm definitely going to watch it so even though the last season on netflix that i saw like meredith was just extra awful and i'm sure she just gets worse uh Yeah, she gets a little better in the new season, but then it kind of, like, goes back down again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, oh, God. No, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Like, I used to catch the last five minutes of that show before I'd watch Scandal. 
That is a mm. very interesting show to only absorb from the last five minutes of an episode yeah. when either yeah. the cliffhanger, the tearjerker, or the 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 like the neat, major drama, the like the neat like the neat little like parable of the episode gets all wrapped up in in five minutes. So I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea who any of these characters are. I don't even actually know what happened other than somebody died, somebody broke up with each other, and somebody slept with each other. Like. The, it, everything gets condensed into the last five minutes and then there's like a sappy cover piano cover of some popular song and yep. and mm-hmm. the voiceover kicks in like well you never know some days in a hospital someone's gonna live and someone's gonna die you know and then it ends so it's like such a weird like slice of that show <laughs> are you sure you don't work on that show <laughs> it's like basically exactly what happens like, and uh, yeah everything Watching it five minutes before Scandal starts. Oh my god. It's pretty much like all you need, too. It's so great. I don't think you're missing anything. No, not really. Uh, One thing uh, that I really like about the new season is that all like the department heads and the chief of the hospital are all women, which Mm -hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, other than that, I don't know, it's like a garbage soap opera pretty much, so, but I still love it. I feel like the show, that like, the further it goes, I mean, it does get more and more ridiculous, but at the same time, Shonda Rhimes' like, politics just keep coming out more and more and more, and like, feminism and all that stuff, so I mm-hmm. kind of like it from that point of view, but it does get like, really off the wall. Yeah. Although it, it gets really off the wall in like, season two, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's good things about it, and there's also, like, you know, it's so much drama on the show, you can barely keep it everybody straight, so. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, other than that, I haven't been doing anything else except for binge-watching TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) What about yourself? Uh, I haven't been playing a whole lot lately, because I feel like I've just been spending my whole life editing YouTube videos. (laughs) Um, but I played two new indie games that came out that were both nice and short. Uh, the first one was Virginia. Yay! Which, yay! Yay, I want to play that so bad soon. So Virginia is, like, a narrative game, what people would call a walking simulator, I guess, where you play a new FBI agent who's investigating her first case, which is a missing boy in a town in Virginia, uh, and then she's also given this, like, subtask, a secret task by her director to do an internal investigation of her partner. Uh, and it's, I liked it a fair bit. It's very sort of cinematic. There's lots of, like, smash cuts and, like, movie techniques in how it's made. So it's, like, it's mm-hmm. very well paced. Like, mm-hmm. it just it keeps you going um there's some time to you know look around and do things but it generally keeps the story moving which i really like uh and it also does it all without any talking at all so really uh Hmm. yeah which is pretty cool i mean it's a bit of a hurdle to have sort of that uh not super intensive gameplay in combination with no talking but it works pretty well and the facial expressions on all the characters are really good uh so you just basically have to pay attention that's that's what i feel like 
the main gameplay mechanic is. Like, there is some moving around and looking around, but you have to pay attention because you can miss things that are happening, and then you won't get uh, as much of the story as you could, I think. Mm. Uh, so I generally liked it, although one thing I don't agree with is that everyone's been comparing it to the X-Files and Twin Peaks. Uh, mm. I think even the developers are sort of billing it as that. And while there's some, like, direct, like, visual parallels, like when you first meet your new partner, you go down into the basement and it's very much like the X-Files pilot yeah. where Scully goes down to meet Mulder. And then there is a bar that's exactly like the roadhouse from Twin Peaks. I didn't feel it had the same feeling mm. as them. Um but it was good, although I found the, the narrative got a little bit fuzzy in the, the sort of the last bit of the game. But uh, it was enjoyable. I liked it. Cool. And then the second game is called The Bunker, which was made in, by a Welsh game studio, I think. And it's an FMV game, which is something I really like. I know. <laughs> I love FMV games. Uh, and you play like a 30-ish year old man who grew up in a bunker. He was born basically as bombs were falling in the UK. And so the game starts with you being born. And at that point, there are 60 people in the bunker. And then where you get control into the game, there's just you and your mother who is dying. So she dies, like, right at the beginning, and you're left all alone. And you have to go about your routine, and then things obviously start going wrong, and you have to try to fix things. And it's really narratively well done. Like, you walk into a room, and you see a flashback of when you were a kid, and when there were still people in the bunker. And so it sort of goes like that, piecing together what happened to everyone. Uh, but I find that this game didn't need to be a game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it would have been a good hour of television like the acting is really good and the story is really good all the camera work and everything like that but in terms of what you do like you don't even walk like walk and look around because it's fmv so it's just like click on this door and then you get a new scene uh, yeah. but there's very little like no there's one puzzle there's like a couple sort of telltale style like mash the A button until a, a meter fills up thing, but it doesn't really... I don't know. The gameplay didn't add anything at all to the game, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was interesting just to compare this and Virginia, where I found that this was sort of more cohesive narratively. Uh, the player input was completely unimportant, where in Virginia it did get a little fuzzy, but just the act of looking around and observing added to the story. But it was cool. I was glad to have two new two-hour games to play, because I love my short games, so. <laughs> Bless the short game. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little narrative nuggets. Yep. Narrative nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Then I watched a couple movies. I watched Attack the Block. Yes. Which was really good. It's about a teenage street gang who takes on alien invaders. <laughs> and it's really fun. And it has like a 19-year-old John Boyega in yes. it. Oh, so precious. <laughs> He's so precious. Um, <laughs> it was good. It was, it was sort of 
fun and it had good electronic music in it. Uh, and then I also watched Hard Candy, which I saw you mention, Apple Cider, yes. and then I found it on Show Me. So, that was disturbing. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a difficult yep. movie. It is a very difficult movie. I, like, yeah, it's not something you're like, aha, it's Friday night, I'm going to pop in something funny and yeah. heartwarming. You know, no, it's absolutely, like, psychological, like, just disturbing uh, but it was very. I saw it in the theaters, by the way, oh, without really knowing what was the, what the movie was about. It was like me and my ex, and they were like, uh, "This, I heard this sounds really good. Let's go see it in like the little indie, you know, indie theater, uh, uh, you know, uptown." And I was like, "Okay, cool, sure, okay." And yeah, it's very harrowing, but I feel it's an important film. I think is a, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, I'd agree. I had, I had, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. I had sort of thought it was like kind of like a revenge film, which is yeah, partially it. Yeah. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, that's listening, uh, it's sort of like a contained film, and it stars Ellen Page, who plays a fourteen-year-old girl who goes out to meet a thirty-something-year-old man she met in a chat room on the internet. Um, and then it just sort of goes from there. But yeah, it was like, I'm glad I watched it, but I was just like immensely uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's hard. It, I mean, like content warnings abound. It's very violent. It's very creepy. It's obviously dealing with themes of, you know, uh, creepy old men on the internet going after teen girls and Ellen Page she was like I think she was like 17 or 18 when the film was shot but she looks 13 like she Mm, really looks super young in the film and it's so surreal in a lot of places and it's shot in a very like sort of like dreamlike sort of way a lot of like desaturated color and like that that like that visual style that was like super popular at the time, which is like just that like really cranked up like blues and yellows and like super saturated. Like the, the use of color in that film is very evocative, but also yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very violent film. It's all it's a very kind of psychologically scary film, but not necessarily horror. But yeah, it's yeah. I, I love it for what it is, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things you watch once and you've got it and you're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> uh, the other thing I've been watching is The People versus O.J. Simpson. That's American Crime Story, which um, you can probably tell what it's about. Uh, have you guys watched it? Uh, no, so. I have not, but it's on my, like, list of things to, to watch. It's, uh, I'm liking it. Like, it's pretty entertaining. Um, of course, I remember the OJ trial, although I believe it happened when I was in grade seven. So, you know, I didn't know a ton or remember a ton about it. But it's neat in that most episodes look at one specific aspect yeah. of it. So, like, there's one aspect all about Marsha Clark and sort of all the sexism she faces and how she's seen as, like, this tough, what I would call, like, a tough 
prosecutor when a lot of people just see that as a bitch because she's a woman who's outspoken (laughs) and going after a man. Um, And then there's an episode on race, although race is generally something that goes throughout the whole series. And then there's one that I thought was particularly good, which was an episode on the jury and just sort of thinking how they were sequestered for 10 months, I think it was, and how like they may as well all have been in minimum security prison, basically. Like that's (laughs) that would have been their experience for it. So I I really like it. Uh, I thought Cuba Gooding Jr. was an odd casting choice. Yeah. Because he really lacks, like, the physicality of OJ. Like, um, I don't know. Like, he lacks the sort of physical attractiveness. But at the same time, like, you know, OJ is a guy who is probably a murderer, is definitely was a wife beater. And, like, Cuba Gooding Jr. is just, like, I cannot see him as threatening. Like, I do not see him in any way threatening. So it's it's kind of weird. But I think it's good. And I also think that this is a good thing for Ryan Murphy to do because his series always go totally off the rails. God, and... you can't go off the rails about something <laughs> that actually happened. Exactly. <laughs> At the very end of the OJ trial, yeah. suddenly everybody is possessed by demons. Now... <laughs> Uh, disclaimer i have not watched episode 10 yet i've only watched nine of the 10 episodes so maybe everyone gets possessed by demons i'm not gonna spoil the ending for you but (laughs) it gets wild right Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i have to say though i I, or i have to ask you though as as um somebody who dealt with this through the lens of american media versus like you folks who are canadian i like was that a like was is watching this series like kind of a radically different take on it because of the way that american culture kind of like clung Mm. to this story like um i don't think so because the thing about american culture is that it's so loud that it goes everywhere (laughs) so like when the trial was happening um i feel like we saw what you okay saw um i mean there is a sort of like stepping back and just like how everything there is a circus and how like that's not how court works here yeah um (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many things that i've watched where like between that and the election and watching uh, the big short a few weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. it's just all of that. It's just like, that's not how things work here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's 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 the one thing I, I never quite fully understand or, or recognize. Like, I understand on some level, but I never get to 100% hear perspectives of people who don't live in the U.S. and what their perceptions are of something that, like, of the media circus that was the O.J. Simpson trial. Like, as somebody who lived through some pretty massive like media things like the OJ Simpson trial, like, like the Anita Hill uh, stuff. I also lived through the Monica Lewinsky scandal as well. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. always really interesting to hear other people who didn't don't live in the United States and what their takes on that sort of thing. Because I just remember being so submerged in that, even as like a teen, you know, mm-hmm. it's just very weird. 
I think like for me it was always like a peripheral thing like my parents would talk about it or something or like somebody else would mention it like as an aside but like for for me personally I don't remember hearing a lot about it Mm -hmm. but like I lived in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere (laughs) so (laughs) that probably contributed a little bit to it Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if I was in grade seven, you were probably in, like, grade three, four? Uh, how much older than me are you? Uh, yeah, probably. I was a tiny baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> so just continuing on the Ryan Murphy train, I also started watching the new American Horror Story. Um... It's one of those shows that I, like, hate watch. Like, (laughs) I thought last season was just total, total trash garbage, but I watched all of it anyway. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, I found the first episode of the new one. It's called My Roanoke Nightmare Mm -hmm. or something, Mm -hmm. I think. I thought the first episode was pretty good because they didn't introduce a million characters and a million storylines and it was sort of like oh this is like a kind of like a haunted house story that's being told as a documentary which Mm. i liked and then i just watched last night's episode and it's already i feel like i can already feel it slipping away (laughs) yeah i goodbye yeah like the horror stories he picks before they go completely off the rails are at least things that i'm interested in which is like Weird, creepy, fucked up hotel. Weird, creepy, fucked up witch coven. Weird, creepy, fucked up murder house. Weird, creepy, mm-hmm. fucked up asylum. But this is like, <laughs> the the framing narrative is like every, oh, we came into this house that was selling for a really low price. Oh, there's something wrong with it. Uh, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't watch horror movies like that for a reason. Because it's boring <laughs> yeah. and scary and I don't like it and... Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm going to keep watching it even if I don't like it, so yeah. <laughs> I just have to accept it. <laughs> and then the last thing, it's I just wanted to mention a YouTube channel that I found recently. Uh, it's called Shay Lindsay, and she has a couple series she does. One's called Nostalgia Chick, which I haven't actually watched yet, but uh, the one I've been watching is called Loose Cannon, and she talks about characters or real people and how they're presented in media and does like an analysis of it uh Mm -hmm. last time i mentioned the one on mystique that i watched and then since then i watched one on marilyn monroe and her latest one was on hillary clinton Mm -hmm. and it's just a really cool analysis of how um all the different ways that she's been presented in media from like all the various SNL versions of her to like Robot Chicken to Roseanne and just um, all the different portrayals of her and what it sort of said about that particular time and of, you know, the actor playing her or things like that. And it's just a really cool series. So I would recommend that to anyone. The YouTube channel is Shay Lindsay. Cool. The Hillary one is probably super relevant right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I even read the comments and they weren't terrible, so oh, that was nice. Rare. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised the comments were even on, but uh, yeah, it was it was good because it wasn't. I mean, political. I mean, nothing's completely 
non-political, but it was just mm-hmm. like, here is how she's been presented in media over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. So hmm. that always feels like that would attract like so many like terrible people just because if you do if you do anything to slightly imply that women are mistreated on some level, even the most basic, you'll mm-hmm. always have someone showing up to be like, no, you're completely wrong and you're a fat ugly pig. Bye. <laughs> it was just a joke. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that brings us to our topic for this week, which is nostalgia or a lack of nostalgia in gaming. And what brought this on was your article, Apple Cider, that you wrote in Paste Yay. recently. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the article for anyone who hasn't read it? Uh, basically I just covered kind of what is my unique experience. I mean, it's not as unique as I initially had perceived because I did get a lot of comments about it. Um, but just kind of what it was like to be somebody who never owned a console as a kid who only played, like, a handful of video games because it wasn't really a part of, like, my household or anything like that. Not for any particular reason, but just because I never kind of latched on to gaming. And then kind of getting into gaming as an adult and having missed, like, the entirety of the 90s as far as gaming was concerned and getting into World of Warcraft and just generally not knowing a lot about gaming culture until very recently, like maybe just in the last like three or four years even, and what that mm-hmm. experience has been like when so much of the gaming industry is reliant on nostalgia and franchises and the memories of people that have been playing video games since they were little kids and what those kinds of things, those kinds of touchstones, you know. I've never played Metal Gear. I've never played a Legend of Zelda game. I never had Pokemon as a kid. Like, just that sort of stuff. Was there anything that inspired you to write this now? Or was this just something that's sort of been on your mind? Well, uh, I wish that it was just... Like, it's been on my mind for a while. And it's something I actually got interviewed about by um, Dave Walensky who writes this kind of really interesting interview series called No, Don't Die. I, I interviewed with him like a year ago, and but he does so many interviews and he transcribes them all into text that my interview still hasn't gone up a year later. <laughs> so it's, oh, wow. yeah, it's, it's, he does interviews with like everybody, including like, um, like Peter Molyneux and stuff like that. So it's been in my mind and it's something like that, but I feel so bad about saying this, but Paste in particular and Paste games have like themes for each month and this month's theme was nostalgia. So I decided to tackle what it is like to have no nostalgia for gaming and what that means to me as a gaming consumer and a gamer and and a woman you know like what kind of that means to me when you don't have the requisite past experience to kind of like fit into this culture in a way that's very very different from like watching tv or watching movies or reading books that's really interesting because i find there's so many different segments of gaming that 
you can basically feel like an outsider no matter how much how many games you've played yeah (laughs) um like for example i do a lot of retro reviews and things and you know i for example missed the whole 16-bit generation so super nintendo and um sega genesis so i didn't have any of those consoles so i feel like i'm missing this key knowledge there but at the same time i've got a lot more modern gaming knowledge and sort of being sort of a generalist at times feels like i don't know enough about any one particular time frame or type of game or Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's a weird thing because i find there's so many little ways of gatekeeping in gaming that don't really exist in other places Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's and that's and that's such a big problem of the culture in general is just that and i think it's really interesting because some girls in particular some girls really did get into gaming like a lot of my friends in college who kind of maybe nudged me back into gaming they were all gamers so it's not like it wasn't necessarily just a gender thing although i think it had an impact because i do rem- i do know a lot of women who were like I never felt like gaming was for me. I never felt like the advertising was directed at me, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, But for me specifically, I can't even pinpoint why I never got into gaming. It's mostly because I I think I just thought of it as like something you do at other people's houses. You know, like I, Mm -hmm. I have no memories whatsoever of being like, that is something I have to have or that even thinking that it's something that I could own myself, like... I don't know. I guess I was, like, not a very, like, consumerist kid. Although that's <laughs> weird, because I definitely had, like, a Barbie doll. Like, I definitely had, like, a Barbie doll and, like, Briar Horses. and But I was really into books as a kid. Like, that was kind of, like, the thing that I kind of made my parents buy all the time was, like, art supplies and, and books. So, I don't know. It might have it just been, like, my upbringing or whatever that I didn't get into gaming, but it was weird because I definitely knew people who were into it. Like I had a best friend that he had like every issue of Nintendo power and you know, stuff like that. So it's weird. I, I just kind of don't know why I, it kind of skipped, like I kind of skipped right off of it, but getting back into it, I definitely felt like it was a gendered thing quite, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of hard to pinpoint. It's, it, w- it was just really interesting to me, though, to have that conversation about Final Fantasy, though, about, like, oh, is Final Fantasy a movie? And having <laughs> everybody in the dorm room look at me like I had six heads, like, mm-hmm. what are you even fucking talking about right now? Like, <laughs> like what? You just said Final Fantasy VII, possibly the greatest game of literally all time, is a movie? <laughs> So, yeah, I've had those, like, awkward moments. (laughs) A little bit, but, like, it's it's weird, though. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's gatekeeping no matter where you go. And I, it's so weird that gaming got built up like that because you really can't do that with, like, television or movies. They're so ubiquitous. That's funny, like, with the Final Fantasy VII in particular. Like, that game and I think tomb raider yeah the the first games that like 
I played kind of on my own when I was younger. So like Final Fantasy VII has like a really special place in my heart because <laughs> it's like, you know, sitting up late at night taking like, and this is like a nostalgia thing that, you know, some people won't have, but sitting like playing late at night, uh, like way later than I should have. Uh, and like trying to keep it down because if my parents came over, I'd be in trouble for playing the game that late. <laughs> but like playing through the uh, like the scene where you have to dress Cloud up in a dress mm-hmm. and like go through uh, like the weird like back alleys and like navigate rooms with like dudes in them who are like hitting on you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, playing that game and like being like, oh my gosh, am I allowed to play this game? <laughs> like trying my best to be like be cool about it but at the same time like wow this is so different anyway yeah like that's what uh like struck me in your article was like i have that memory and that feeling for final fantasy 7 and you don't but like it's cool that you don't because it's such a different experience yeah well and that's i think that's probably why we're all friends i think (laughs) probably versus like (laughs) some other people that would probably say that i have no business talking about video games if i've literally never played final fantasy Uh, but (laughs) i think it takes both perspectives really to kind of inform that dialogue like you like Yes, I think that on some level, having a critical understanding of the media and the media that you are talking about is great because, I mean, that's that's how it goes for cinema. That's how it goes for television. You want to have somewhat of a of a language, an, a shared yeah. language or a shared understanding of concepts and stuff like that. Like, you know, um, but games is so weird in that it requires it thinks that it requires so much knowledge that almost one person could never encompass all of it which is just weird to me like the if you don't know about this secret hallway in this one game like don't even talk to me about it yeah (laughs) yeah like yeah and that's and that's a reputation that it's built up on itself because how do you sell video games that increasingly are reliant on technology every three to five years, if not saying that you have to participate in every successive iteration? Like, how do you get people to keep buying stuff if you don't make it about that, like, you know, continuous knowledge and skill building, basically? Yeah. I find right now probably the best example of like a game coming back in a different iteration that has made a lot of people I know super excited and myself included is Pokemon Go. Yeah. Where so many people have this connection to like the first like the first couple games or even like some of the newer ones where it's <clears> like <throat> you can actually catch the Pokemon yourself and like have it like out in the world with you. So like um growing up and then having this here at the right time where like you know you have your own cell phone most people anyway have your own cell phone and it's or an ipod or whatever it's so easy to access that in particular Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) catching the first pokemon on my phone i definitely started crying so (laughs) they like (laughs) found the perfect person for their game (laughs) yeah 
and that's weird. My sister was the big Pokemon person. It's so funny. My sister and I went in completely opposite directions. <laughs> she had a Game Boy growing up. She was really into Pokemon. She is not a gamer now, with the exception of Sims. She's really hardcore about Sims, but she doesn't play any <laughs> game other than that occasionally. Whereas me, I'm like, I didn't play games as that much as a kid. And now I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to gaming conventions and I'm going to have yeah. a gaming podcast <laughs> and I'm going to write about video games and I'm going to have gamer friends and talk about video games and play video <laughs> games all day. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, you like jumped right into the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because my sister's like, haha, remember when I had that like Game Boy thing? And I'm like, yes, yes, I, yes, I did. <laughs> it was purple and it was clear. And it was like, you know, like, uh, you know, she she played like I think the first two Pokemon's that came out or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I got to play Pokemon Go, and that was my first Pokemon game ever. You know, so it's very mm. it's very weird. It's very you know two different life paths with regards to gaming, and now she's she just like she doesn't really care at all. So it's like kind of funny that way. Yeah, that's so interesting. (laughs) That's like, I want, like, I wonder what happened. (laughs) But like, not like in like a why wouldn't you play video games kind of way. Just like, you know, she yeah, she kind of got into like, it's weird. It's hard for me to say because I'm I'm like six years older than her. Mm. So by the time that she was in middle school. I was already like graduating high school and going off to college. So I didn't really get to see her teen years at all. But I suspect what happened is she just kind of, I think she had kind of the experience that a lot more women that I know my age had where they were into video games and then suddenly it just didn't get, it was just wasn't cool for girls to be into video games anymore. Oh, yeah. And she got really into like, you know, makeup and boys Mm -hmm. and stuff which is not exclusive from playing video games i should i should say that very clearly (laughs) but for her it was that other choice you know yeah i feel like i remember that kind of feeling when i was in like grade school then high school where it was like there were there were very set groups of of girls in particular where there were the girls who were always you know super well dressed and they all had makeup on and that's like all they talked about and then there were like the other group of of people (laughs) who like you know the traditional uh like loser group of kids i guess yeah yeah it was like you like video games and you like playing like magic that's dumb Mm." (laughs) (laughs) I yeah, I got some feelings about started. high school. <laughs> I remember when magic started. That was like back in like sixth or seventh grade in middle school. That was <laughs> intense. But yeah, like that's the thing though is I was in the loser group. I was in the like yeah. you know misfit goth nerd kids, and it was mostly women. But our nostalgia, like my nostalgia thing, Sailor Moon. Yeah. We were really big into Sailor Moon. We were not, like, really into video games. We were really big into Sailor Moon and anime. I was an anime <laughs> nerd. <laughs> I was a hardcore anime nerd for middle school, high school, and college. 
much, you know? So it's so funny that, like, I kind of got rid of the anime thing and then jumped into gaming, whereas, like, most people my age now that I know are, like, really into the anime, <laughs> really into the anime <laughs> thing, and I'm like, man, I was really into anime back when, you know, back when I was a kid, I remember when you had to buy expensive fan sub tapes from some unreliable person in the back of a magazine, you know, like, <laughs> that, like, so, you know, like, that's the thing that I actually get really, like, jazz and nostalgic about, you know, now, uh, so it's, I guess I just, like, got into that and not gaming, which is just weird because anime and gaming kind of, like, go together on a lot of levels just because of, like, Japan, you know, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's another place where I feel like these things sort of go together, like the gaming, the comic books, the anime, and I also feel like, you know, totally into gaming, not at all into the other things. So it's weird how people sort of branch off into different sort of areas of geekdom or whatever you want to call it (laughs) yeah yeah like i never like i was a little bit into comic books for a while when i was a younger kid like i would go to the corner store and buy like the latest x-men because i think people forget that when you're a younger kid (laughs) especially like in the like early 90s it really wasn't 100% easy to get to a comic book a shop, especially if you were a kid. Like, yeah. comic book shops were, like, for adults, <laughs> you know, like, or at least mm-hmm. teens. So the only comic books that I could get my hands on in, like, a rural town was, like, whatever was on the newsstand at the corner store that I physically walked myself <laughs> to on the road, you know? Like, so I would get, yeah. like, X-Men uh, uh that's it and so i yeah i never quite got into <laughs> comics either you know i know a bit about it now because it's such a you know cultural art- artifact things like that like i know about like you know wonder woman and Catwoman and all that sort of stuff but again it's like so much of this nostalgia is really tied up in like what was your proximity what was your income level <laughs> what was your gender what were your friends into versus mm-hmm. like like, you can't assume that people are all going to get into the same thing at the same time in the same way. But I think that that's kind of how gaming has been sold to a lot of people, where if you are X, Y, and Z, and a lot of the X and the Y and the Z are 20s to 30s, white white dude, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that was your life! And, you know, and... You got into the gaming and the comics and this and that, you know, and that sort of thing where it's like, that was definitely not my experience. I either couldn't afford it, didn't find it, couldn't get near it, or, you know, like, it just didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to get into. Comic books were expensive. I didn't have any money, you know, at the time. Whereas I could turn on the TV and watch anime, you know, so very different experiences, I guess. Yeah. Um, So going back to talking about video games and, you know, critiquing them, do you think there's a positive or a few positives to that lack of nostalgia when it comes to games? Or, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, nostalgia can sort of cloud your view of things and having fresh eyes on something is definitely uh, can be a positive. Yeah, I think some of the negatives are that... 
you get a lot more flack <laughs> for not knowing some mm-hmm. of like the big critical works. And I do feel like sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit less of a of a good critic. Um just in terms of like understanding the big names of of gaming uh in that respect, but on the other hand, Wikipedia exists. It's not this is not <laughs> arcane knowledge about what the plot of Metal Gear Solid is. Um but on the other hand, there's so many games coming out now that don't have anything to do with you necessarily having a 30-year pedigree of gaming knowledge. And I think that that's kind of where gaming needs to go in terms of expanding its borders to make way for games that don't require that of you, but rather crafting a unique play or narrative experience. And so I feel like being somebody who doesn't have that nostalgia my takes on those kinds of games is really invaluable. As somebody who is predominantly way more versed in like television and cinema and stuff like that, I feel like I kind of bring that more to the table than a lot of other people do. Um, That's always the thing that I ask of people that do talk about games is that talk about games and love games as much as you also love other things outside of gaming because I think that that makes you a better gamer if that makes sense like mm-hmm. i mean this is a pan medium podcast you guys know that better <laughs> better than most that having interests outside of gaming i think makes you better able to talk about games from a critical perspective so yeah okay. like th- the positives are yeah i don't have this like very rosy glasses view of gaming with the exception of mist <laughs> i will Fuck that game. Uh, oh man, I love this. It took me like a million years to beat it, but oh my god. Like it was I don't know how I did it at like eleven years old. Like I just I just possess this kind of like I don't know. Like I have no superhuman idea. puzzle solving ability. Yeah. Like, I remember my mom playing it and like watching over her shoulder and she'd be like, Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. This is a good puzzle and I'll be like, What the fuck is happening? With the exception of that fucking spaceship, that spaceship was fucking terrible. And I had to buy a walkthrough book for that entire, like, zone. (laughs) The fucking sound zone, because it was not clear at all. Oh, and apparently I found out later on that that, the first iteration of that game with the sound zone was actually very buggy. So, so, yeah, so, like, (laughs) uh, but it's interesting because now I find myself, like, you know, um, like, how many years later? I, I'm bad at math, like 20-something <laughs> years later. And the, the Mist guys are putting out a new game called Abduction, and I'm just like, mm. I'm going to have to play this game. <laughs> how am I going to feel about it? they were putting it? out a new game? Yeah, it's out now. Like, it's like I, I heard about it on Idle Thumbs, and I was like, I'm going to have to play this. How am I going to handle this? Because if it's like <laughs> so hard and I can't get it, I'm going to feel real bad about myself. You know, am I going to enjoy it as much as like 11 year old me enjoyed a game? You know? Yeah. So it's hard. Like, there's definitely, yeah, there's positives and negatives to not having nostalgia. The biggest negative to me, though, is just feeling like a fucking alien all the time. Um, mm hmm. Like, with references and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot you can pick up just due to the nature of social media. You mm-hmm. know, like, 
I can make Pokemon jokes with the best of them, you know? Like, I know what the, here, don't go alone, take this is referencing. Like, you know, I can, you can kind of pick up a lot of that stuff sort of secondhand or whatever. But on the other hand, it's, you know, I have a lot of friends who are very much into video games and have been for their entire lives. So they talk about, like, playing Metroid or playing Bayonetta or playing this or playing that and they've all played it so they can all have this like conversation about it and I just right over my head just like you know so yeah it's one of the reasons why World of Warcraft felt very comforting for a really long time is because I was I was in on the conversation like I knew everything and could participate Mm -hmm. in it and uh, gaming is a lot bigger <laughs> than World of Warcraft. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because I, you know, I'm friends with a lot of really smart people who have a lot of really smart things to say about gaming. And then I just like listen to a gaming podcast and they just reference like 16,000 titles. I have never heard of, never played and wouldn't know the first thing about. I'm just like, how do you pack all of that in your brain? Like, how do you even know that? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and then, but then people are like, well, you've, you've seen all these films. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, whatever. <laughs> like, so, but it's, it feels like it's so much bigger, you know, like it feels like it's so yeah. much yeah. deeper. There's definitely games that are like cornerstone, I guess. Yeah. Games yeah. too. So where it like, I've never played a Metal Gear Solid game in my life. Mm-hmm. But like, I only know I know some of the references because like, the lady yelling Snake's name like that's pretty you know kind of see that in a bunch of different places and like he hides under a box and there's the red exclamation mark yeah um that's like pretty much all I know and then like Legend of Zelda like the original one I never played but I know the Don't Go Alone take this reference too because that's everywhere or the hearts mm-hmm. yeah like the heart yeah stuff. um so like. There's some things that, yeah, like you said, like you pick up from social media, but then other things where it's like, oh, it's such a classic game. It's so good. And you're like, yeah, right. So good. Yeah. Dark Souls. <laughs> the Souls <laughs> are real dark, I guess. It's <laughs> really hard, I guess. Yeah, it gets, it's really, there's skeletons. I don't, there's blood. Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> or yeah, people, who, people who play JRPGs. Or, like, um, not JRPGs necessarily, but um, any person who has played Persona and or any of the, like, Shin Megami Tensei games. Mm. No idea. No idea what they are talking about at any particular moment. None whatsoever. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot recently, especially with, like, the new Persona game that's coming out and that people are really excited for. And I'm like, what the fuck is this game? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, what is it about? And they're like, well, it's about these characters and they have a social link and they have a... I'm like, oh my god, what is <laughs> what is going on right now? I just, you know, like, so, I think, yeah, I think it goes back to what, Pam, what you were saying about there's, like, little niches that can kind of make you feel, like, really out of uh-huh. it really fast. <laughs> That's yeah, one of them. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I even have, I played, like, a couple hours of Persona 3, and I still, like, I don't know, people go crazy over that game, and I was just mm-hmm. like, eh, it's, it's not really my thing. 
Yeah, but I I find with that game, then you get the people who are like, what do you mean it's not your thing? It's so great. And you're like, Mm -hmm. but I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or when you list your favorite games and they're like, what about this game? It's like, Uh, what about it? (laughs) That is not one of my top games. (laughs) I guess it's one of yours. Yeah, you make your own list. Yeah. like Come back to me. Go back in time 10 years and buy me that console, and I'm sure it will be my favorite, too, or something. You know, like, there's, you know, what are they going to do about it? It's, you know, kind of impossible, but... Or, like, I I think a lot of people, like, especially big... Like, a lot of people get really weirded out when I say that the only Final Fantasy I've played any time with, like, any amount of time, is Final Fantasy XIV, which is the MMO. Again, again... That MMO is completely cryptic to me because I haven't ever played a Final Fantasy game quite a lot. And F, uh, Final Fantasy X-2. I played eight hours mm. of that. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two Final Fantasy games I've played. It seems okay. Like, <laughs> and then there's, yeah. like, there's like, what? <laughs> what? Like, what do you mean? You haven't played six? You haven't played eight? You like... have, yeah, you haven't played seven? You haven't played three? Yeah. And I was like, I don't... Ten? Like, no, mm-hmm. I I know the characters of Ten. Like, I know who they are, sort of. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> yeah. Final Fantasy is such a, like, that one is probably a good example of nostalgia. And, <laughs> like, if, if somebody is talking about a particular one, like, you would have no idea unless you've played it, really. Yeah. Especially yeah. the older ones, I find. Mm-hmm. Like, I only really know about six and seven i don't even remember what the other one that i played was uh it might have been eight but like if somebody were to talk about like three or even ten like i haven't played ten then you know you wouldn't know and Mm -hmm. like that game that series in general like the franchise is so big Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah Yeah, it spans like two decades Mm -hmm. nobody's got time for that no 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 one (laughs) and and especially because that's one of those series that has a reoccurring set of like callbacks like every game has a sid and every game has a chocobo Mm -hmm. and an airship and a guy with a sword like or something like that (laughs) (laughs) you know like something like that and Beyond that, you know, but I think that that's kind of a way yeah, of like getting people to kind of keep kicking into that cycle. Mm-hmm. With the exception of 15, no one sounds psyched about 15. Everybody <laughs> sounds pissed about 15. So well, that's this... the current MMO, right? No, 15 is no, oh, the out. boys trip. Oh, it's all the hot guys. Right, 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 right. In the car yes. or something. Yeah. I want to play that because I, I hope that there's, like, a relationship in there somewhere. I don't. I doubt it. Yeah. I d- yeah, I yeah mean, well, I can dream. <laughs> that's the game where one of the characters literally had, like, a leather, a leather, um, like, a leather uh, overalls that were, like, literally just, a, like, they were overalls that didn't quite have, like, a back to them or legs <laughs> so it kind of looked like he was just wearing like a, a pant leg and a bib sort of strapped to his crotch and nice male okay. gamers got so pissed off about it that they gave him more clothes <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one of course they got yeah. mad about it and two that's such a shame <laughs> i remember that wasn't that like 
five years ago. Yeah, because like it's, <laughs> it's like the development on this game has been such a long time, I guess. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I have to admire like Square Enix Enix's commitment to like the wild like crotch hugging outfits to men. Like I, I I'm kind of impressed. So, so one of the things I notice about uh, sort of like the mainstream gaming talk uh specifically game reviews is that it's very very common for games to require you to have that knowledge like take the the genre metroidvania as an example like so many games get called a metroidvania or when someone is describing the gameplay they don't describe it on its own they describe it by comparing it to some other game so if you don't have that knowledge or you haven't played that game uh that comparison is basically lost to you mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of that i have ha- that's actually one of the things i've actually had to have people explain to me is when uh, and i make fun of it a lot as a way of kind of releasing that tension of like you cannot tell me what you cannot tell me that a game is a Metroidvania. That means literally nothing to me. And even though I do know what a Metroidvania is now, sort of, because no one's been able to give me a really concrete explanation other than like, well, it's like Castlevania Metro, and I'm like, what is what does that mean? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a side-scrolling 2D platformer. Okay, that's where. But even that is like not. That's so granular. What's a platformer? What's 2D? What's you know like side-scrolling? What does that mean? Because all of those things are basically like, with the exception of games that are styled to look retro. 2D, side-scrolling, and platform... Well, not platformer so much, but, like, 2D and side-scrolling are absolutely, like, retro things. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not a visual convention. That was, like, a technical limitation of video games <laughs> 20 years ago, you know? Um, which is funny, because it becomes a stylistic choice now um, in a lot of cases. But, yeah, don't call games Metroidvania. No one's gonna know what that means. Like... My memories of Metroid and Castlevania were like when I was eight years old and I watched a friend play Castlevania. So if you tell me something is a Metroidvania, I'm like, so you turn into a ball or hit things with whips? Like, I don't understand. You know, like, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Like, that's the two things that I took away from both those games is your use of whip or you turn into a ball. Um, Also, shmups. What? Mm. Shoot 'em ups. Okay. Okay, that kind of kind of makes sense, but then I'm like, well, is it 3D? Is it 2D? Is it isometric? Is it first person? Is it third person? You know, is it second person? Are you describing what you're shooting to somebody else? You know, like um Yeah. Yeah, the the terminology is easily the one place where you are absolutely fucked if you have not played games throughout your life i think that the way that games are classified is not great um you know compared to something with like movies where it's a horror movie or a comedy uh but at the same time i understand like there's more 
about a game like there's the tone and the story there's how you play the game there's what the game looks like which can be different from every um from game to game so it feels like just like a one word description yeah. is never going to be sufficient mm-hmm. but reviewers still use it and it's like you are absolutely making it impossible for people to have an entrance into this media type because you insist on using very jargony, like, uh, very euphemistic terms for everything. Um, and it falls apart, like you said, because it's sometimes mechanical, sometimes it's narrative. Like, what's the difference between, like, tr- like think about it from the perspective of someone who's never played a video game. Like, never played a video game or hasn't played a video game with any sort of like understanding of how you would talk about it. Like, how would you talk about something like, like say overwatch? Okay. So for a gamer, all you would have to tell a gamer who's been immersed in the culture that overwatch is a team based first person shooter. And they automatically know exactly what that's talking about. Yeah. If you, and they might even say, Oh, like TF2, like TF2. Yeah. And you're like, yes, boom. Yes. Yeah. Like Pixar TF2. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> but say somebody has never played a video game before. You're like, okay, so it's a team based first person shooter. And so you're like, okay, so you're on teams. Okay. So how do you, you know, how do you play a game with, with teams? So, okay. I guess, I guess there's objectives or, or something Mm-hmm. where you do things with another team okay first person shooter oh okay that's where it gets like automatically you're just getting into the weeds because okay they know that you shoot things or people maybe uh but what does first person mean in a gaming context because as everybody else knows what the term first person means it means like it's not a visual convention because movies and movies and TV shows don't often do first person in a way that gaming does or has yeah. done. Like first person in movies is actually like kind of fucking weird, like very, very <laughs> weird. You know. So when you think of first person, you think of books like, oh, yeah. it's in the first person. I'm speaking in the first person. So I'm referring to myself. So you're like first person shooter. Am I shooting my you know like it's a, it's it just loses it because it, it's describing something mechanically and visually that no one has had an exposure to at at, at any point you know when it really all it's saying is oh the camera is your face the camera is your face and you see the guns on the screen yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah it's like gaming is like so entrenched in this like very aggressive language at all times in terms of like trying to understand it as like a newcomer i didn't know that world of warcraft was an mmorpg for the longest time because i didn't fucking know what an mmorpg was i didn't even know what an rpg was you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so do you think that gaming will eventually get there like it's becoming more and more uh ubiquitous and do you think that there will eventually be a time where we can you know use this jargon that we might use for tv or movies um and people are just sort of expected to know it because i feel like there's a decent i mean if it's something that you're interested in there's a decent amount of cultural osmosis that happens like i have also never played a metal gear solid game but i feel like i know 
a decent amount about Metal Gear Solid despite never playing it firsthand. Mm, yeah. Um, I think it's going to take the next generation to do that. I think. Um, yeah. Like, how do you how do you talk about Minecraft? No one ever says, "Oh, it's a mining block, mining simulator, mining simulator." <laughs> and you're like, "That's not really." I mean, like a mining a crafting simulator, and you're like, no, everybody just says Minecraft. It's mm-hmm. like Minecraft. So, yeah, I think you're starting to see. Because kids, kids these days, they just, (laughs) they just interact with things. They don't necessarily describe it, you know? And like to a generation that has never known a time when there weren't video games or weren't, wasn't the internet, there was no internet or anything. They've, they've never known a time when there wasn't digital devices. So... I think gaming experiences to them are a lot more um, intuitive, maybe, and a little mm-hmm. bit more like a just different kind of experience that you have in front of a screen that you interact with versus yeah. like kind of the codified language that we have that a lot of times doesn't even come from video games. RPG is not a video game term. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. pen and paper. You know, I think we're starting to move away from it. Although, man, like walking simulator. What the fuck is that about? (laughs) That is terrible. That is such a like we can already see that the language is starting to fall apart in some places as we get different kinds of experiences in gaming. Yeah, that's one of those weird ones where like I use that term just because that's what's used now. But it's it's so undescriptive. (laughs) And it can be basically used for anything. Any yeah. game where you control where your character moves could be called a walking simulator. <laughs> yeah, like Quop. Quop is the real walking simulator, I think. That's that's the truest, purest form of walking simulation is your arms and your legs are flailing all over the place and you can't <laughs> move forward. You know, whereas like something like, yeah, like, okay, I can kind of see being able to lump like Firewatch and Gone Home together. Yeah. Because they have similar sort of game mechanics. You're walking around, you're unfolding a story through dialogue and and mechanical movement. But again, not a walking simulator. And I feel like that that term is so obscure or opaque because it was used originally in kind of like a really snide fashion to kind of like say that they're not games. So yeah, like, but we still haven't come up with a better term for it either. Like, you know, I would say like narrative explorer is a little bit closer to it, maybe. But again, you don't necessarily have to have a narrative to walk around somewhere either. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like what what the next generation does with like even critiquing video games or making their own. Yeah. Like having grown up in such a digital digital world like i remember when i didn't have internet (laughs) yeah (laughs) which seems like such a ridiculous thing now yeah like uh it's like minecraft but with guns or it's like minecraft but with you know like i have a feeling that maybe that's gonna we're gonna go to like a a dystopia where it's like it's like minecraft but so yeah uh so back to you talking about sort of sometimes being made to feel like an outsider do you think that there's a a point where you don't 
actually have to play a game in order to talk about it. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to experience games, whether it's like Let's Plays or streams or just Mm. reading other people's critical analysis of it that I feel like unless it's a very specific by the numbers, this is how this game plays kind of review, there's a lot of dialogue to be had about gaming that doesn't necessarily require a history or even a direct experience. Yeah. Um, People will probably be very shocked to know that I wrote about Hotline Miami 2 without ever having played it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm that not was a good article, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, my shocking deep, dark secret has been revealed. I did not play a game that I talked about. And I think that's kind of, I think that's just kind of, uh, games are such an impossible, like, here's the thing. I will absolutely make the time to watch a TV show or a movie to talk mm-hmm. about it. Because guess what? That is between... I mean, unless it's a very long run show, like say all the seasons of like, uh, you know, um, like Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. <laughs> what couldn't I say about Supernatural without having to watch half of that show? Uh, I don't even know. Um, but <laughs> but like for the most part, I think it's a little bit less of a time a time um, a time uh, investment to be able to discuss the themes of a particular film or themes of a tv show mm-hmm. whereas with gaming man the idea that you have to experience it narratively and mechanically in order to say stuff about it is like uh i think that let's plays and streams are super super great mm-hmm. for people that cannot or you know cannot or will not play a game in order to talk about it mm-hmm. um but here's the thing i come from a discipline and i come from a background that presumes that video games are a cultural artifact and are an expression of art and you don't necessarily have to get your hands dirty in order to still be able to say something about it as a consumer product or a cultural artifact or a piece of artwork. Like, Hmm. you can just talk about a game's advertising. You can talk about how a game just floats around in the miasma of our society there are Mm -hmm. so many games that i have talked about or referenced that i have never played because i already kind of get the gist of what they're about now there have been a couple times where i've been really off the mark and that's you know my bad as people you know sort of brought up to me but i mean some shit ain't that deep like uh, if your marketing for your game includes a trailer or includes a piece of like limited edition collector's edition stuff where it's a disembodied woman's torso mm-hmm. with a bikini on, no head, and a bloody gash across her stomach, and that is a statue that you give out in a collector's edition of your video game. I think I have some idea about what I might talk about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just as an example (laughs) that I pulled out of the air, uh, and it is in no way specific to a very particular title, um, (laughs) people think that the only way to talk about something is to have this, like, deep, meaningful like deep dive into it and that's absolutely there's absolutely spaces for that i will read 
anything that Simon Parkin or Austin Walker or Gita Jackson says about a video game that they played for 50 hours. I will read them. I will read them left, right, and center. I, I love people that can really kind of dig into a fucking game. And that's shit that I do with World of Warcraft. I could write a whole book about World of Warcraft at this point. I consider mm-hmm. myself a foremost expert on fucking World of <laughs> Warcraft at this point. Um, but on the other hand, I would love to read what people who haven't played World of Warcraft think about World of Warcraft. Because I think that that's just as important as what I would have to say about World of Warcraft. You need all sorts of experiences, including outsider perspectives, to round out the critical discourse. The idea that you have to play a game or experience it in a certain way when games themselves present themselves as a product through marketing and their communities as a channel of communication like not enough people recognize that and it bothers me so much because a game can say so many things you know um do sex um without you ever <laughs> playing the game at all you know yeah they're yeah. not they're not just limited to the game itself there's yeah. so much around everything yeah especially now with like yep. all of the advertising they can do oh like yeah it's, you know, you see them in places that are not just on the console or the platform that you're going to be playing it on. Yeah, like E3, everybody watches E3 streams because they yeah. want to see all those ridiculous, like, 10-minute trailer, 10-minute demos, 10-minute this or 20-minute that. And that that absolutely, they're they're designed to give you a snapshot of what the game is about, unless it's specifically a game that's designed to appear to be one thing and then like twist it around at the end or whatever, accepting things like that. I absolutely know what any fucking game that's based on a John Clancy novel is going to be like. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're going to be a grizzly, a grizzly dude. And you're going to be shooting some people in a quote unquote bad part of the world like that yeah (laughs) probably somewhat stealthily yes (laughs) with many guns Mm -hmm. and maybe there'll be multiplayer like (laughs) and everybody's graphics will look amazing but still just shooting people like (laughs) like i don't need to play that game in order to be able to talk about what cultural impact it might have on people you know like yeah Because it already put out its personality on the fucking plate right in front of you just from the marketing materials. People don't seem to realize that, which is funny because gaming is like 75% marketing these days. And it always has been. They're consumer products too. Yes, they're pieces of artwork, they're cultural artifacts, but they're also designed to make you buy them. (laughs) So advertising is very important. Marketing is very important. It says a lot about the game or it can say a lot about the disconnect from the game there are definitely been games that have had marketing materials that are definitely made by people that have no idea what that game is about or who is going Mm -hmm. to be buying that game and it's interesting to talk about the disconnect and why it occurs yeah i think there's definitely a lot of room for a lot of analysis and talk about games Uh, So many people focus on the purely mechanical, and that's just like this one tiny little aspect of what gaming is. Yeah, and it's not something I'm particularly good at. Like, 
I mean, I could, I can kind of tell you, like, ah, oh, these movements felt uh, good. Uh, you know and you can talk about systems and there's people who are really good at about talking about systems and what systems are communicating and game design like game design academics they are on a whole other level that i don't even can get on but uh in terms of cultural relevance that's that's my jam i want you to talk about the themes i want you to talk about what this game is trying to say i want you to talk about the thematic elements and the narrative and the characters and characterization visuals and you know, when people use cinematic and they don't know what cinematic means, you know, like things mm. like that. Like, I want to talk about that stuff. I don't, I don't really care about game feel or mechanical stuff as much. You know, we need to have all of those things, though. We need to have all those kinds of conversations, not just the mm-hmm. mechanical, but the cultural, critical, academic, you know, everything. So we've got a couple of questions from Twitter. Okay. The First one is from at Lonely Board Game, and it is: Does a gender double standard also apply to requiring childhood gaming for credibility, or is that universal? Uh, it's really hard for me to answer unbiased because I'm a woman, <laughs> and I can't mm. uh, like I I can't separate that part from myself. I don't know honestly. I honestly wouldn't know because I ran into this stuff as like an adult. Um, women in general are gatekept out of gaming regardless mm-hmm. so you yeah. like you know pam you definitely played games as a kid you played mm-hmm. a lot of games as a kid and you definitely still have detractors <laughs> you <Yeah. know>? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i would say that the double standard applies because society is built around the double standard in general <laughs> you know like <laughs> I don't think, yeah, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's universal in quite the same way. Yeah, I mean, I I don't, I think that men probably get it too. Yeah. Like, it's it's not only women who get it. Um, I think there's a a thing in this culture where we want to test people and we want to, like, uh, I don't know, sort of show people how much we know and how we know more than them and that sort of applies to both genders but i definitely think there's more it's it's focused more on women like i don't think men get comments like i do like mm-hmm. it looks like someone you're just reading a script someone else wrote yeah it's like oh well okay i'm reading a script i wrote but like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i think it's kind of like with with guys it's a way of like sort of stress testing the person's feasibility of being in group mm-hmm. with women. It's a way of absolutely trying to keep you out as long as possible. I think it's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, so our next question comes from a Latino lawyer, and he asks, does a remake of a classic owe a duty to new players to do more than just modernize the graphics? Oh. Oh, that's a hard question especially because there is a remake of final fantasy 7 coming out yes Mm -hmm. that's exactly what i thought of yeah (laughs) um if you make final if you remake final fantasy 7 and you do not make it accessible to people who never played the original you are leaving money on the table yeah Mm -hmm. that's plain and simple I mean, you can make a remake that is just a modernized 
version of the graphics because I know a couple of games have done like HD remasters of Bioshock are like a thing like mm-hmm. games are going to always upgrade their graphics or mm-hmm. do tweaks like that but I think in the case of Final Fantasy 7 I think it's so far beyond just a remake of the graphics like yeah. they said they specifically said that they're snipping some things out of the story that don't hold up to the test of time I think and I think one of those things is the dress thing probably probably mm. yeah I, yeah it's <laughs> kind of disappointing <laughs> I, I think that's, I mean, I think that's speculative at this point, because you never kind of know what Square Enix is going to do, but yeah. um, I think that with a game where it isn't just, like, an engine rehab, like, if it's not just, like, updating, like, you know, like, giving it, like, a makeover, or, like, a, you know, facelift or whatever, um, if the time span between the two is so great that the, uh, enough cultural relevancy has kind of passed by, it might be in your best interest to <laughs> spruce that up too. But um, if you don't make it more accessible to new players, I mean, this is one of those places where I think it's hard for me to say necessarily, like, I don't necessarily think nostalgia is bad, by the way, but man, wouldn't it be cool if you're a parent and you would get to play Final Fantasy VII, the new version, with your kids who are used to, like, 3D graphics? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I mean, my parents showed me old films and played old records and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if it owes a duty to new players, but it helps, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, why not, I guess? Yeah, I think the accessibility is the big thing um again with that final fantasy example controls and things have changed a fair bit so it's not just a matter of making it look nicer but just making it easier to play and easier to pick up and sort of modernizing things like that i just replayed beyond good and evil which was a ps2 game and i replayed the hd remaster and it was very strange because the control scheme and the camera works much differently on ps2 than it than games do now so i found it very difficult to like i was inverting the controls and putting them back and it just never felt quite right and i felt like that was a place where they really could have just made that little update to make the camera a little bit easier to control and make things a little bit smoother rather than just update the graphics yeah Mm. yeah definitely like yeah because so much about gaming is about technology too and technology goes by so fast nowadays so it's funny because i was i was i was looking at that question and i was thinking of it from the other side of of it where like if they remake a classic and it doesn't feel the same for people who have played it before you know that would be a little strange but at the same time it's like you had the experience of playing it the first time so like it's nice to see it on the new platforms and it's nice to play it with like you know your new swag or whatever yeah i sound yeah. i sound mm-hmm. like an asshole but <laughs> um it's like because thinking of of what they're gonna do with final fantasy 7 from what i've heard they're gonna make it like episodic kind of telltale style mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i don't know if i'll play it then because i don't yeah. want i don't want to feel bad about final fantasy 7 but I want people to love it as much as I do. So I want people to be able to experience, like, the story and see the characters and, 
love the story as much as I do without having to play the like shitty graphical version of the PS1. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's why I like this question because most of the time I find it does come from the other perspective. Like, yeah. what like, is it owe the fans? Don't like, remake my game and make it shitty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. All right, so that's it for our questions. Apple Cider, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having yeah, me on you. again. <laughs> um, do you want to tell people where they can find you or if you have anything else you want to plug? Yeah, so by the time this show comes <laughs> out, hopefully I will have a piece up on Kotaku. Ooh. Um, but I shouldn't say what it's about. <laughs> just go read it. Number two, if you want to read my other work, uh, ciderandlemonade.com has my artwork, that has my writing and my podcasts. And I'm also on Twitter at AppleCiderWitch. So if you want to yell at me on Twitter, that's where you go. So. <laughs> that's where people yell at you yes <laughs> uh riley uh you can find me on twitter at k-a-l-e-r-i with an underscore and you can find me on twitter at Josila underscore or on youtube at cannot be tamed and if you have any feedback questions people or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes you can reach out at mediamavenscast at gmail.com or contact us on twitter at underscore mediamavens and if you like the show please leave us reviews because we love reviews and we don't have enough we don't have enough we so need do more. it <laughs> uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time <laughs>